And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. I think now it's my turn. So uh, um, sorry about jumping ahead. See, I, I got in a hurry. I tell the acolytes to be slow. Um, you know, today, uh, really the main part of the sermon, I want you to hear from these amazing people who took uh, their expense, their time uh, to go and to serve God's people in Honduras. I mean, that's going to be the main point of the sermon. Um, and I may say a couple things there at the end before we sing. Uh, but I'll remind you, though, they signed up really to serve in Honduras, not necessarily to speak. And so I know that, uh, so I appreciate them uh, doing that and um, being a witness to what, where they saw God at work. Um, just like Jeremiah, sometimes Sometimes you got to say something. And sometimes you have to give an account of the hope that is, that is in you. So uh, for these next few moments, I'm going to hand it over to Hunter and the rest of the team to tell uh, the Honduran story. Good morning, everybody. Um, just to, as way of introduction, um, about seven or eight years ago, um, we adopted as kind of the guiding scripture uh, for the Honduras mission uh, a passage from First Peter, First uh, Peter chapter four, verse ten, and uh, that verse says, um, "As good stewards of the grace of God." serve one another with whatever gifts you have been given. And every year as we're getting ready for the mission uh, and our planning and training, and then while we're in Honduras, uh, we return to that scripture, we pray over it, uh, we kind of meditate over it, and we always try to find opportunities uh, to remember that we are stewards of God's grace, that we can show God's grace. We also really look for those opportunities though when um, the encounters that we have uh, our Methodist brothers and sisters in Honduras when they reveal uh, God's grace to us and so uh, today uh, we'll hear some thoughts and reflections memories from the mission team um, the slides will run through I think I've got it so that the, it will run through several times I hope I've done that correctly uh, so y'all will have a chance to see all these images um, as as we kind of tell just a little bit about that experience uh, that we had uh, a, a little over a month ago so I'm going to turn it over to some of the team members now uh, to offer their thoughts and reflections uh, I'm just take a few minutes All right, I'm going to take a few minutes to tell you a little th few things about the overall mission, compare it a little bit to what we've done in the past, and um, talk about the kiddos at the end, the children. Uh, last several years, we've spent our time building a mission house, a church, and an office all in one in the capital city. Something like 1.2 million people, a lot of city noise, a lot of uh, hustle and bustle, but we pretty much worked inside that compound. A lot of y'all I see in the audience I know have worked down there before, and that building is basically finished. 
we did get to go the first night and spend a night there and uh, had a Yeah, we always have a good time, but we had a, a nice church service, and you can see all the efforts and things we've done. You can look and say, okay, Vicki painted that wall. We hauled concrete blocks up to build this room. So I said I was going to get through this. <laughs> so you can see a little bit of all y'all, a little bit of St. Luke's throughout that building. And they have a wonderful woodwork they ended up building for the uh, sanctuary in the church. It's, it's really a beautiful place. Now, that's not where we worked. We didn't work in the big city. We went 70 miles or so south to a little town that's not that little, but it's little to us, maybe 150,000 people or so, called Donley. And then... We stayed in a hotel there, which was a lot different than staying in the mission house. But then we would travel another, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes south on paved roads. Then we would get off on dirt roads and go another 30 minutes into the mountains, cross the mud, slipping and sliding in the back of a big old Toyota van. And it's a rural area, not like a lot of us grew up, Hunter in the Delta, me in South Mississippi, and where our parents and grandparents grew up. Uh, Hunter called it a town. I don't think it was a village. I don't think it was a hamlet. It was a community of houses spread up and down a road. Uh, no stores. Had one little, what do they call them? Pooperias, which is a general store or a convenience store in the back of somebody's house. And then they had two churches, a good Methodist church and a Catholic church, and that's about, and a school, and that's about it. But uh, most of the houses, concrete block, tin roof houses like we'd see in that part of the country. Um, a lot of free-range chickens, a lot of dogs, a lot of cows, a lot of little bitty motorcycles running all up and down the road all day, but con contrast that to what we saw in the capital city with over a million people. Um, the church was more of an open air building, concrete blocks, one that Hunter had helped on a very early mission years ago to get started. Uh, a lady pastor, really nice, you could tell her connection to the community was strong uh, with that group. and. Uh, one day she was out working with us and Hunter showed some, talked about the digging, but she was swinging a pickaxe with the best of them. Had little old house shoes looking things, I guess you'd call them cloth flats or something. Here we are in steel-toed boots. And I was worried about her, you know, hurting herself out there digging, but she got after it and did it. Uh, we spent uh, one day, a uh, couple of days eating lunch at her house, which was nice and got to see more. Multiple connections between the church and the water. Uh, the pastor was definitely involved in the community. The main filtering system, for some reason, was in a little building out in front of the church. And it was a good system, a lot better than we could see in the capital city. And I regress a little bit to the capital city. The water there, we don't drink it. We don't brush our teeth with it. We don't even sing in the shower, Helen. 
because you might get water in your mouth and get sick. But the water that we were providing out in this rural area was going to have a great filter system where they could drink it right out of the tap. So the water out in that area was going to be better than the water back in the capital city. Um, changing a little bit to the uh, children that we ran into, uh, on our first trip in, slipping and sliding down that road in the back of that van and bouncing in the mud, and we stopped. And I thought, why here? And it was front of two or three little buildings that turned out to be a school. The kids were out in the road with signs and balloons and everything. I don't know who they told them we were, but we felt <laughs> very welcomed into the community. And before we left, Miss Ann right here got hugs from about every kid in the whole bunch before we left that, that school and went on down to our work site. Um, Hunter kind of covered the, the, what we did. The goal was to lay pipe. They, they had a water well years ago that went bad, and it had been bad for several months. So, and the community had been living off of bottled water and water from the rain. Most of them had a tank or a cistern as such to catch the rainwater. But that's, that's all they had for a month or so. And uh, some of the pipe had gone bad, so our, our part in that was to replace that. But there's a bigger connection. They used the donations that all of y'all gave to help pay for the new well. They said it was $6,000 to drill the new well. And then the piping actually laid in the, um, the trenches that we were digging was provided from donations from y'all and others. So uh, a big connection uh, through there. A um, couple other in encounters with the kids. Um, during the day, there was a handful of kids and ladies from the church that also worked at the school that would bring sweet coffee down to service in the afternoons. First time I'd ever drinking hot coffee out of a Dixie cup, but that's the way they served it because that's what they had. But it, it was a good refreshing break in the afternoons to get that. And then at the end, there was a going away service for us at the church. A little concrete block church, tin roof, open air, and we were sitting there resting after uh, lunch, and kids started to wander in. All of them, about every third group of them would bring their dog with them, and, they all, and there was chickens running around in the yard. So all this wandered into the building that we were in, and Helen, they had the biggest children's choir, probably... 20, 30 kids. I tried to count them in the, one of the photographs we had. And they all had a little uh, dance they did for us. And one girl even did a uh, lyrical dance uh, as an angel. So that's the kind of the way we ended it. You could see uh, positive things for the whole community. And we were just a little part of that. And we teach in our disaster response that it's, it, the work's important, but it's really not about the work. It is providing a caring Christian presence while you're there. And we definitely could see that with our results and, and things we did that week. So just honored to be part of the team and, and a chance to go. Alan's going to tell you about everything. <laughs> um. One thing that I wanted to do was just share the support team that's there when we get to Honduras. Um, Milton is the Honduran coordinator. 
he coordinates all the missions and everything that goes on. So if there's any problems, you really want me to be loud? Um, if there's any problems, then he usually tries to correct those and handle that. Um, Milton, um, I gave I gave each each we have two translators and then the coordinator um, were the main people we work with, and uh, I gave them nicknames. Uh, Milton was Lord Milton, um, and there's a reason why. Uh, he wears very nice clothes, um, uh, Calvin Klein clothes. He loves Calvin Klein. Um, he loves good food. So we went to the best restaurants in Honduras, believe me. Um, and then he's very picky about his coffee, and uh, I think Hunter enjoyed his coffee the most. So he would bring his own because he didn't like the other coffee. So um, just to give you kind of a background of, of who he is, um, he was born into privilege. Um, his father was very wealthy. Um, his parents divorced, and uh, he was left, he and his mother were left destitute. Um, his mother struggled to raise him. Um, she now has got a very good job uh, making very good money, has a home in the United States, and uh, she's doing very well. Um, his mother uh, encouraged him to be a translator for uh, the Honduran mission, and uh, he didn't want to do it, but he went anyway because he's trying to do what his mom said, and uh, that's how he got started, and he worked his way up to coordinator. So, um, And then uh, Jorge is uh, George. Um, we nicknamed him George because that's what Jorge means. Um, I called him George of the Jungle. I don't think he liked that too much, so I stopped. So. Um, but uh, I got along with him last, uh, the last time we were there in 2019, uh, struck up a friendship with him, and, and that's kind of continued. We've, we've emailed back and forth about once or twice a year uh, since then. Um, but uh, his father uh, was uh, brought Olympic wrestling to Honduras. So that's kind of his, but he doesn't wrestle, though. We asked him that. He said, no, I'm no good at it. Um, he lived in the U.S. for a short period of time. That's where he picked up the English. Um, he's very good. You know, he sounds almost American. Uh, and uh, he's raising a son by himself which, uh, you know, he's running here and there and staying places, and he's got to take care of his son, too. So, um, and we have common hobby, uh, common hobbies, uh, woodworking. Um, he likes to do repairs, handyman stuff, and, and he asked me, you know, a couple of things. He told me what he was doing and asked my opinion. He, oh, I like that. I like that idea. So we, we uh, really struck up a friendship and continuing that. And then uh, Franklin um, is, uh, he's from northern Honduras. He has, what, three girls? Three girls. Um, I said, bless you, I understand, uh, too. Um, and uh, I nicknamed him King Arthur because it's, he's got four names, and his first name's Arthur. So I was like, oh, well, we'll just call you King Arthur. So uh, he lives in northern Honduras and, uh, you know, sends some money back and, travels to and from northern Honduras to uh, provide for his family. One thing that was kind of unique with him is that uh, he used to work on cruise ships 
because um, in northern Honduras they have a lot of cruise ships that come by. Um, and that was kind of interesting to ask him about, you know, that work. Um, and one thing that on the trip that, that we noticed is he's very, very careful about wearing his COVID mask, okay? Um, one time we went out to eat and uh, he forgot to put it on and uh, I got a picture of him real quick without his mask on. So that's probably the only picture we have of him without a mask on. Um, but having, you know, learning about those people, we had a devotional every night. Um, we invited them to come and uh, I think they got as much out of it as we did. Um, they shared their life. They shared their struggles. We shared ours. Uh, we all have common, you know, problems, and we're working on those. God's blessing us in certain ways. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, the relationship to me is the main thing that I go for. Um, the uh, Honduran church, you know, we're, we're Methodists here. They're Methodists there. We're trying to support their church. Um, the Honduran support team is very important. Um, uh, communities that we go into, we make friendships there. And uh, the church leadership, I know the, the uh, pastors of the two churches, uh, the communities we were in, uh, were you know, vital in trying to spearhead this effort. Um, but the relationships... Uh, let the Methodist Church in Honduras know um, that God's with them and uh, that he cares about them. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to encourage them uh, by coming there and, and uh, providing some work. Um, we may not be as good as the people there. They were 16-year-olds that could put me under the house. I mean, it, it, they would be out there all day long working, and, and I'd work for like 20 minutes, and I'd be like, ready to die so um, they're hard-working people um, but they live in poverty I mean uh, some of the families were like we don't know where we're going to get the money to feed our kids today you know that kind of thing so it's in dire and water I know uh, you know they were catching rainwater but that's what they're drinking too um, so if it gets contaminated in any way that's that's their water source um, and they said that, you know, there weren't rains. And when we were there, it was raining probably every afternoon. So that probably helped them. But, but relationships is very important. I think, you know, if we were in dire need and some other church came in to help us, we would feel very appreciated. You know, uh, God is listening to us and listening to our needs. I'm glad they gave you the preface to all of what was going on because I was the newbie of the group. And, um, you know, it, the, yeah, they call me mom the whole time. It's like, really, guys? So, but I'll have to tell you, these guys were great to me. Um, they were very protective, not overly protective to where they didn't think I, you know, to an insult. I'm not a feminist by any means, but I think my husband would probably appreciate the fact that, that, you know, if I were going to go from the work site back up to the church to grab some water, they were like, let me walk with you. Or, you know, one of the interpreters, Franklin was kind of my bodyguard for the whole time. He's like, no, no, let me go with you. So they were always great to me. Um, they, like I said, I carried my own weight, I felt like, for the most of the trip. But at the same time, they were just very, your, 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 if your husband is up here 
or your dad is up here, they are awesome men. I, I, I truly enjoyed the time we had, like just the laughing and the devotionals. They have some wonderful insights to share, and I really looked forward to the nights just to kind of close out that hard day and then sit down and just sort of fill the tank again because they had everybody had a different devotion theme that they did, and one sort of led into the next, which was kind of neat. We didn't plan it. It just sort of turned out that way. And, um, and then having the interpreters with us, and then we had the regional director with us one night. That was, it was the night I had devotion, and we did it on thankfulness. And she was just saying that one thing that led her into doing the work that she does is the fact that she would see a small child carrying big things of water, you know, on their head through the town. And she's like, a child does not need to be doing this kind of labor. They need to have time to be children. And that's kind of one thing that led her into it. So I'd been sitting on my pew for year after year thinking, I want to go. I want to go do this. So if you're ever led to do this, really put some prayer and some time into thinking about doing it because it's, it was, it's life-changing. And then, like Hunter said, you kind of come back to this world and you're going, okay, so what's going on over there? Is everybody okay? Yeah, you have to kind of decompress. So, um, so that's one thing I wanted to say. But, um, but um, And then from Willie's perspective, when we got to the mission house, I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. They know they've been to these places. The mission house was a pretty cool place. It's surrounded by barbed wire. It's got an automatic gate. So you're like in a compound. But when you get in there, it's very inviting. And there's a lots of pictures when you walk in the foyer of all these church teams that have been there and that have worked there. And uh, I took a picture. I don't know if it's in those slides, but um, of, a, of a cement wall that um, is just a decorative wall. But it's got Willie's. <laughs> He's going to cry again. Willie's initials in the wall and Sarah Beth's initials right above his where they had helped build that wall. They carved their names in it. And, um, and then they would walk around and go, oh, I remember putting in this floor. I remember putting in that, you know, part, part of this church. And it was just knowing that years of doing this, 10 years or so uh, at least, and then I walk in and I see all this work that y'all have supported this team and others that are sitting out there that didn't go this time. It was mind-blowing for me. I can't really think of any eloquent words, but it was just sort of a very a much of a God thing for me um, because the church is not just in this building. It's out there, and the people know it, and the people appreciate it, and the hard work we did, even though we were a small part, they didn't have any problem handing a shovel to us. They, it was okay. They needed a break too, but then we'd hand it right back. So it was a, a communal thing that we all did together. Um, a couple of times, you know, I get real red in the face when I work outside. I can water the yard and my face turns red. They're like, oh, sit down, sit down. And I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I can keep going, you know. But it's not them. They were fine. They were fine handing me shovels. It was the community guys. They were like, you know, you need to sit down. And I was like, no, I'm good. And they'd say, roja, roja, like red. You're red. <laughs> so I was like, I just turned red. So, so they were very protective. Um, like Willie said, the children at the school were real important. The second day we got there, we got there a little late, so they decided to let us tour the school and actually um, see where the well was going to start, where it was going to finish. And um, so that was kind of neat um, because uh, Robert got in there and he was really um, engaging with the kids because he would get in and go, okay, who can run the fastest? And of course, everybody would like, Miguel, Miguel, can, you know, so they always, and who's the slowest? I was like, that was a terrible question <laughs> these kids. So we were just having a, a good time that morning with the children at the school. And... Um, 
we were invited into a home where they make cookies, rosquetas. They're little donut cookies, and they, the women make them to, to sell to the community. And I didn't have any money with me, and so Willie gave me like two to five, paper money, $5, looked like $5 bills. They're actually worth 40 cents, you know, in there. So it's like 40 cents for a bag of like 10 cookies, you know, to buy from the women who help support the community. With interest. I know they kept reminding me I owed them money. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so we did have a lot of fun. Um, I was going to mention the, um, the church service they did for us at the end was so special to me because the children all came in and they were dressed in their nicest clothes and they were dressed, they, they, had you could tell they had practiced they had sung even the little boys in the back you know they were going you know, sometimes you get little boys they don't want to do anything they're just kind of going because they got to be there they were doing the arm movements and the I wish we had a video of that I, yeah, I do have a video of that but um, you could tell that they had worked on this and they were so thankful that we were there I think just because they were kind of showing off their community to us and sharing their life with us it had nothing to do with let's thank the, I mean, they were thankful, but they just welcomed us, you know, and it was, um, uh, but they all sang, and they, the women fixed us a meal out of the community that day, and it was the best chicken and rice I think I've ever had in my life. It was delicious. So, um, Jorge, I believe, said this is a meal that we would have here that would celebrate a birthday or a special event. So, so, so something as simple as chicken and rice with vegetables and potato chips on the side was like their festive meal. It was just a, just a really big gift. And um, then the last thing I'll say too is um, there was a man that was in the community. Um, uh, let's see, I always called him Ricardo, but it was El Cuarto, El Cuarto. I went and got some water from the back of the van and was sitting there and there was a man in a tree behind the barbed wire fence and I'd ask, um, Jorge, what do you think he's doing? He goes, I don't know, let's ask him. So he says, what are you doing in the tree? So he tells us, he says, well, come on in. So we went around into his yard, which had chickens everywhere and um, the open home and that sort of thing. And uh, he showed us that he plants most of his food because everything is so expensive. And he was trying to figure out a way to run a squash vine up into the trees because he had no room on the ground to go up and over. So he was going to basically lead the squash up into the treetops, basically up to the, into the power lines or whatever they had. So he started showing us that he had uh, papaya and mango and banana and coffee and several other plants that he was trying to be self-sufficient. And uh, he said, wait, wait, wait. And so he ran in the house, and um, there were four of us there, me and Hunter and um, Robert and, I believe, Jorge. And he went and got us these gorgeous bananas from his house. And um, they were just prettier than any banana I've ever seen here in the store. Fresh. They were, yeah, very fresh. And um, Jorge told us later, so some of those pictures were goofing off with holding our bananas, but um, they were delicious. And Jorge said that was like, two meals for his family. He said that was a huge gift for him to give us that fruit. And so the very end of our gate, we wanted to do something nice, but nothing, you know, too extravagant. But uh, Jorge suggested we just buy him a two-liter bottle of Coke, which is we went into the pooperia across the street, bought him a Coke for three bucks, and walked over on our last day, and he was so appreciative of, of just that small gesture. So anyway, my, my thing is if you ever just 
feel led to go. You, I mean, if something's just tugging at your heart, you should probably listen to it because um, there was a lot of little hard things to do, but you can do it. Um, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Hunter, I'll be brief. <laughs> We've, uh, Bruce, we have probably taken more time than we should have, but I'd like to share with you just a couple of things about this team and how it works so well together. Uh, we were the people that went to Honduras, but it was you that sent us there, and we appreciate that. We could feel your prayers and your love as we were there, and that helps a lot. We worked hard. We worked hard alongside of the Honduran people in the community who worked just as hard as we did. And at the end of the day, we would gather, and after our dinner, we would gather for a devotional. And in that devotional, we would usually talk about something similar to, why are we here in Honduras? Each of us had a, a different approach to that. But I used a scripture lesson from Isaiah where the Lord is speaking to Isaiah about how can I get my message out? And the Lord says to Isaiah, whom shall I call? And Isaiah responds by saying, here I am, send me. And I think that was the, the message that each of us took to Honduras, that we were gonna share the message that we had with the Honduran people and work hard, and I think we accomplished that. Uh, we had a great leadership in, in Hunter uh, who was patient with us and we worked hard. We had fun, we had worked hard, but I think we accomplished what you would have wanted us to do, and that was to share the word of God with the people of Honduras. We were the hands and the feet, but you were the, the motive behind it, and therefore we appreciate you. Thank you so much for your many help and your support and your prayers. And in conclusion, I just would like to um, echo um, Robert's words of gratitude. Um, the Honduras mission couldn't happen without the devotion through the years uh, of the St. Luke's congregation. Uh, and so uh, that support, those prayers are really very meaningful uh, to us. And we are so appreciative of the, the decade-long more now relationship that this congregation has forged with our Honduran brothers and sisters, um, our Methodist brothers and sisters in Honduras. Um, and then finally, since I have a captive audience, I can't pass up this opportunity to uh, plug recruitment for next year. I'll begin later this uh, fall in September, early October, uh, organizing, planning for next summer's mission. So if anything you've heard today sparks your curiosity, makes you wonder, is this something that I could do? Or maybe you have done an international mission and it's been a long time and you'd like to come back to it or explore that possibility, please don't hesitate to reach out to me uh, or to anybody on this year's team or any, any former team member, in fact. So thank you all very much again. Yeah, please. Absolutely. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. Uh, we, we're so proud of you, and we appreciate all that you've done. And uh, I'm planning on going next year, so if anybody wants to go next year, uh, come join me. And I'm sure many of the folks 
you saw up front, but I know that uh, they're serious. The invitation is open, and it is, as you can tell, very life-transforming. Um, you'll see that I called it a homily and not a sermon today. You know the difference between a homily and a sermon, don't you? About 11 minutes. Um, so, so I'm going to give you really about a three-minute sermon because you've already heard the gospel today. You've already heard the gospel today. Well, I was thinking about, as I was thinking about this and I was thinking about uh, the mission team, I caught a part of the um, PBS News Hour. My grand, Big Daddy used to watch the News Hour a lot. And so um, it was the News Hour for, t- for Tuesday night of this week. And there at the end, their feature was a guy named David uh, Bornstein, who, uh, who was the head of this uh, nonprofit called uh, Solutions Journalistic Network. And he said that our news has got to get more rebalanced. That the media today, social media, whatever cable outlet you're watching, it's not telling the whole story. And I don't care what you're watching. I don't care what your favorite cable news network is. It's not giving you the full story. They say that social media is... um, if, if you're using social media, and I do, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, you are not the customer. You're the product. The product, right? And so he talks about, you know, we need a journalism that activates people more, gets people more involved. It's good and fine and probably an important thing to know what we need to be worried about or what we need to be concerned about. Um, but we also have to activate people uh, into knowing that they can respond. And if we, if we did a little bit better job of that, he's speaking of journalists, then we might can provide a great sense of well-being. Well, I'm not going to hold my breath on the media. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to do that. Because that's our job. That's the job of the body of Christ to share and to be the good news for the world. Because in a world where all you're getting, and he called it deficit-framed information, if nobody else is sharing the good things, then we've got problems like we do today. I'm not talking about keeping our heads in the sand. I'm not talking about being Pollyanna. But the news we hear in the world is not the last word, and it is not the full Story, and that is our job. He ended that PBS NewsHour saying this, we need to do a better job of catching the world, doing the right thing, and letting that news spread. You ever wonder why we are the people of the good news, right? Evangelion is the Greek word for the good news. There were no cameras this week that took pictures and helped of nurses and doctors helping Sarah Beth get through a difficult pregnancy. It did not make Fox or CNN or MSNBC. There were no cameras when I saw somebody right here in the Fondren take the time to help someone who was in, who was, looked like they were having a seizure on the sidewalk. There was no, WJTV was not there. And Facebook was not there. But I'm telling you, it happened. And there were no cameras in this beautiful country of Honduras 
when five people from St. Luke's United Methodist Church decided they would dig holes until more people got clean water to get to 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 drink and to use and to use now I'm going to preach on on Jeremiah the next 2 weeks so I'm I'm just going to close it off right here we're going to talk a little bit about Jeremiah but he lived just get this here and I'm going to send you some notes this week he lived about 600 years before Jesus Christ Jeremiah was a prophet they were not Fortune tellers, that's what we think prophets are. They see the truth very deeply. And God said, I want you to give news to my people. Why? Because the kings and the princes of the day were more worried about the headlines of Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. Of what was going on around them, they were more worried about that than what was going on right inside. And they were getting off track. And Jeremiah was pulling them back into the heart of the matter, the good news. Instead of being scared of what is going on around us, why can't we be like Jeremiah and the mission team and ask God what's going on inside of us? And then we say, here am I, send me. I'll go to Honduras and dig a ditch and love children and eat a chicken and rice meal that's awesome and laugh and love. I'll help somebody in Fondren who's going through a hard time. I'll be a part of the body of church. I'll be a part of St. Luke's. And we can be God's alternative good news for this world. Let's catch the world doing the right thing and let that spread. That's our call today. That's what we'll be talking about the next two weeks. And that's what we heard right here from Five Blue Shirts. Be the good news. And let's live in a way that people know that the violence and the, uh, uh, the greed and all the things we see on the TV is not all there is that's going on in this world. Thanks be to Jesus Christ who has died and risen and is calling us to share, and to be the good news for the world. Amen? Amen. That's as close as I can get to three minutes. Let's, uh, let's stand up and let's sing our closing song. And uh, yeah, come next week. We'll, talk, we'll learn a little bit more about Jeremiah. And uh, take my life and let it be. 399. First and last verses.